0: before we consider today's scripture reading and today's message i want to share a word of uh appreciation for mother's day for all who are celebrating today with mothers for all who hold mothers in blessed memory also want to lift up anyone for whom mother's day is complicated or challenging every one of you all of you is loved and seen and celebrated in this place I want to say a word of thanks to our tech team who's connected this online. I want to say hey to our group out in Cisco who worships with us live every Sunday at 11 o'clock. I want to say hey to my mom, Gigi. Hey, Gigi, another Gigi watching from Lake Travis every Sunday. I uh, want to thank our music and worship team for leading us in worship this morning. So thankful that you're all with us here today. So. Today's message is going to start in a way that you might not expect for a scripture reading from the book of Romans. Paul's having a conversation, and he's sharing good news with the people who are in the community in Rome. A small church, it would be smaller than the people who are in the balcony of the worship service today. It's an incredibly important and meaningful and and hope-filled message full of really good news. But in order to understand what it is that Paul is saying, you have to begin at the beginning. And I mean like really at the beginning. And that's where I want us to start our message today. Some of you who have been a part of my ministry here over the last 10 years know that I really love science. I really love the practice of scientists and learned people observing all creation and learning about the world that God has made. Science answers the questions, how? How do these things work? How does gravity work? How does electricity work? How does our earth form and come together? But faith answers the question of why? And we can hold those things side by side and learn from them together. Did a sermon series a number of years ago called Thank God for Science that teaches you how to read faith and observations of the created order together and, and doing so better understand who God is and the world that God has made. On Christmas Eve, if you will remember, if you were here for Christmas Eve worship services, I started with looking at the scientific observations that we have right now of the world at its very, very, very smallest level, subatomic quantum levels. And I'll be honest with you, starting a sermon on Christmas Eve with five minutes about quantum theory and mechanics got mixed reviews, (laughs) mixed reviews to be sure. Some people were like, I really loved that one. I was like, you're the one. I'm glad. I'm glad. But I'll be honest, it's a mistake I'll probably make again because it's something that influences my own faith journey so much. And that was a message that focused on the very small and how the very small and its odd behaviors change our understanding of what we think is and isn't possible in God's creation. Today, I want to focus on the very big, the impossibly big, the, the mind-bendingly big. For those of you who know a little bit of my autobiography, you know that I grew up being taken to church a little bit and had a fine relationship with church, but it didn't mean a whole lot to me. By the time I was a youth and in college, I considered myself a non-Christian person. I wasn't a person of any faith. I didn't complete the journey into fully follow, uh, devoted follower of Jesus for a number of years, but I remember having a moment studying my astronomy textbook in my dorm room at the University of Texas. I remember we were studying the origins of the cosmos, not just. Our Earth, not just our solar system, but everything that is, everything that you can touch or feel or observe at any point. And it was the story of how scientists have come to theorize how all of that came to be. You may have heard the Big Bang or something like that mentioned before. But what I couldn't stop thinking about in that moment in my dorm room so many years ago was, okay, well, what was before that? What was outside of that? If this was the moment into which everything exploded into existence, what was outside of that? What does outside of that even mean? What was before that? And what does before mean in a situation in which linear time isn't yet applicable? And then the big question that set me on a journey that didn't reach its completion until I became a Christian was the question of why is there anything at all? Our material existence, not just us here in Fort Worth, Texas, and not just the planet Earth or the Milky Way solar system, but why are there atoms? Why is there gravity? Why is there light? Why is there anything? Why is there something instead of nothing? For those of you who are first-time visitors or guests joining us today, I get like this sometimes. (laughs) Have you ever thought about it? Have you ever really stopped to consider it? Because I'll be honest with you, it kind of messes up the rest of your day. If you're walking around thinking you know, about existential questions about why something exists at all, let alone yourself, it, it becomes hard to focus on your tater tot order at Sonic. Because the truth is, if anything exists, if creation exists, if there is something instead of nothing, it's for a purpose. It's for a reason. There has to be a why that all of this came into being. And if there's a person, a purpose or a reason, then there's a purpose and a reason and a meaning for you to live in connection with. Because the truth is, the things with which we fill up our day will ultimately mount to very little Every building that has ever been built or will ever be built by the human species will one day crumble into the sea. Every organization that has ever been formed will one day come to a conclusion. The most famous people that have ever lived or will ever live will someday see the day where their name is no longer spoken or remembered by anyone. And every form of data storage that has their memory inscribed in it with ones and zeros will someday cease to function. All of it will ultimately amount to nothing. So then what actually matters? Does anything actually matter? Why is there something instead of nothing? If there is something, what's the purpose behind it? For what reason does it and everything and you exist? And then what's the actual point of it all? Because it can't be to spend all of your time and energy focused on things that will someday crumble and wither and die. What's the answer to all of that? Our sermon series that we've been focused on for the last few weeks has been the idea of the greatest good news. And it's a focus on the understanding that there is more to the gospel of Jesus Christ than you have already heard or remembered or thought or considered. If you're a person who's not really a churchy person, but you're just checking it out today on person or in line, I need you to know that whatever you've heard or think you understand about Jesus, there's more to it. There's more to his message. There's more to what it means for you. There's more to what it means for your family. There's more to what it means for the world, to all of creation. There's more than you realize. If you're a lifelong Christian who has spent your life in faithful devotion and study of the scriptures and ministry and giving and sacrifice and prayer and worship, there is still more for you to learn and to realize. If you are a member of the clergy who has devoted your life to maintaining the sacred trust and ministering the gospel to whom anybody God places in front of you, and you have committed yourself to life and service in this way, there is so much more for you to let yet learn. There's just more going on. We've focused in the last few weeks about how these scriptures reveal that God's doing more to save more people, to reach more people, and to overcome more boundaries than we ever realized. We're realizing there's power and there's presence and there's good news at work in ways that we might not regularly see or acknowledge in our everyday lives. And in this scripture reading today, Paul the Apostle, this person who's received the gospel from the resurrected Jesus himself, has good news to share with the Christians who are in Rome and all of the Christians who are yet to come. But in order to understand the good news and the answer that he's giving, you need to first understand the problem. Because a solution and a way forward won't ever make sense to you unless you first take time to really realize and really consider and let sink in what it means to be hopelessly stuck. And Paul is writing to a people who are hopelessly stuck. So, why is there something instead of nothing? Nothing. The people who observe creation and are experts in it will never have an answer to that question because it's not a question they're meant to answer. They answer the question, how? They don't answer the question, why? For what purpose? To achieve what ends? There's something that exists outside of the things that we can touch and taste and feel and know and see. There's something that exists outside the linear progression of experiences that we call time. And if you're one of the person who's, people who's ever struggled to conceptualize the idea of God, just take that which exists outside of material creation and the material passage of time and call that God. And over the course of human time and experience, we've come to know a little of the character of that God because God has deigned to reveal God's self to us, to share, to mention what God is and what creation is for. God let us know that God exists as Trinity, as three persons and yet one person that we call Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you stop and say, God, that doesn't make sense to me. God says to you, good news, it never will. But I just thought that you should know And you have to understand that concept of trinity because it's about community and relationship and love and knowing and being known. And that fact is the key and the core to the question of why is there something instead of nothing because God is a community of love. It pleased God to speak creation into existence, not as a display of God's power, and not because God was incomplete or needed anything else, because the nature of community and love always multiplies. You see it in the healthiest and wholest people around you. That's what love does. It grows and spreads and creates, and it pleased God to do so. Not to display power, but for the purposes that more could be included in this unbelievable love. And here's the catch if your goal is for someone else to experience your love and to love you in return, you have to let them be free. You cannot force anyone to love you. You cannot compel them to love you. You cannot make them love you. You cannot take away their choices and their independence and their freedom so that therefore they will love you completely and wholly and naturally. That's not how love works. If your goal is love, you have to let them be free. God's goal is love. And so all of creation and you are totally and completely free. Over and over again, that freedom is used for purposes of alienating ourselves from God, of living in ways that are not reflective of who God is. We call that sin, and all that it means is living in a way that is not for your best. Not for your healthiest, not for your most meaningful, not in line with the purpose for which you and everyone who will ever live was created. We see that written in our human history. We see that written in our human presence, in our lives and in our families, in our communities, and on the noons every single day. We're free. And over and over again, that freedom is used for purposes of sin. And the impact of that is the alienation from the God who made us and a betrayal of the reason why we're here in the first place. Our whole purpose is community and love with God. And because of using that freedom in that way, we create a gap that we could never overcome on our own. People all throughout human history have come to the understanding of this alienation, and their answer always has been, we need to sacrifice something. We need to give up something. We need to cut something off, or or burn it, or kill it, or do whatever, so that we might appease the one who we've wronged so dearly. The story of the Christian faith is God saying, stop it. Stop it. This reconciliation, this wholeness, this hope is never going to come that way. So God joins us comes alongside us in Jesus the Christ not to forsake us or to condemn us but to restore us to right relationship with God and through his life and his teaching he displays the power of God he pronounces the nature of God he teaches the ways of God and in his suffering his crucifixion his death and his resurrection he takes on the greatest rejection that humanity could possibly give and overcomes it overpowers it conquers it so that no matter what you and everyone who has ever lived can actually experience, not by your power, but by his right relationship, redemption and wholeness with the one who created you for this purpose. The fancy church word for that is justification. And Paul's writing about justification in this letter. And that fancy church word just means whatever it is that separated you from God is done, finished, overcome, overpowered in Jesus the Christ. And you experience that through nothing more than faith. You could never earn it, so don't try. You could never achieve it, don't waste your time. All you need to do is receive it. Faith just means trust. Live into it as if it's true. And it is, but he has one more piece of news for us in this text. He has one more thing we need to understand in this text. He has one more framework that is key to you and to your children, to your parents, to your neighbors, and to everyone you'll ever meet, understanding how powerful this actually is because it's not just that Christ lived and died and was resurrected, but it's when It's when that is the key that unlocks the door to everything for you. It was at this perfect moment, this pure moment, the only moment that would possibly make sense, and it's in our text today. It's in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I'm going to ask you to actually read this out loud along with me because this is the hinge on which the entire good news fills us with hope today. Join me. But God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Imagine hearing these words. God proves his love for us, for it was when we finally got our act together and prayed enough and worshiped enough and served enough, then Christ died for us. No. Imagine the nude of God proves his love for us because when we finally joined the right church and the right denomination with the right preacher proving, preaching the right gospel, then Christ died for us. No. Imagine it saying, God proves his love for us for when we finally had a pure heart and did everything we could possibly do to be right and perfect in every way, Christ died for us. No. While we were yet sinners, while we were at our worst, while we were at our most lost, while we were at our most wayward, when we were at our most awful, there Christ died for us, while we were living in communities that practiced slavery, then Christ died for us, while we were in communities that oppressed and condemned people, then Christ died for us, while we were in communities that suffered under the yoke of violence and death and did nothing about it. then Christ died for us, when we allowed to repeat all oh, over and over and over again, systems that led people to death, but because it didn't happen to us, we didn't do anything about it. It was then Christ died for us. It was then Christ saved. It was then Christ restored. It was then Christ redeemed. Why is there something instead of nothing? Because it pleases God. Because God made you and us and everyone else for the purposes of living in relationship with God, of knowing what it is to love and be loved in return. And you were made free so that you could actually do it and you're not perfect and nobody is. And so we mess up and we do wrong and we hurt others. And it was when we were at our worst, individually, communally, it was when we were at our most addicted. It was when we were in, when our, at our most adulterous. It was when we were at our most greedy. It was when we were in the most denial. It was when we were practicing the most injustice. It was when we were most actively hurting those around us intentionally or unintentionally by action or inaction. It was then Christ died for us, restored us, redeemed us, reconciled us, healed us, provided for us so that we might experience the one thing that actually matters. Everything else will come to an end. Everything else will reach the moment of completion and the one thing that lasts Now and forever is you living in to the reason that you're here in the first place and under your own power and reliant on your own purposes and dependent on your own actions. It is impossible. But while you were at your worst, now or someday yet to come, Christ died for you. Gave himself for you, thought about you, loved you, was here for you. The biggest problem that you or anyone else has ever had, your alienation from the God who made you, who loved you, and who breathed all of creation into existence, that problem has been overcome. How does that free you? How might that change you? How might that reframe the things that are currently filling up your heart and your life and your family with stress and fear and loss? What does living into that change for you today? While you were yet a sinner, lost, hurted, and hurting, Christ died for you, redeemed you, restored you. What does that make possible? Now. Let's pray. Great and loving God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, great are you and greatly to be praised. Lord, we recognize the fact that there is something instead of nothing. Is dependent on your desire to live in relationship with all of us, all of your people, all of your creation, just like you, are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, blessed and loving community, you invite and extend to us that same opportunity. God, our freedom mars us with sin, with wrongdoing, with pain and difficulty, and in Christ Jesus. In his life, and his death, and his resurrection, you have crossed every boundary to restore us back into life eternal. Lord, help us to remember that it's when we were at our worst, our most alienated, our most lost, our most self-loathing, our most guilty, it was at that moment that Christ died for us so that we might know that we are his and you are ours. So God, guide us into living into his grace as together we pray the words that he taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us